0: Alright folks, I want to thank you for joining us here this evening in the Bible study club. We are excited that you have taken the time to be with us here again uh, on this Thursday evening. Uh, we have we started last week diving into the book of First Peter. I'm sorry, the book of Second Peter, and we were looking at growing in knowledge and um, and we looked at the growth wheel. So uh, for those who were there last week, hopefully you've been spending time on the wheel and getting to know God and drawing closer to Him. As we transition, though, into this week, and we look at the book of 2 Peter, chapter 2, we're looking at a topic, as you can see there boldly on your screen, truth versus lies, Uh, exposing false teachers and false teachings in the church. And, you know, a lot of times there are teachings that will make you shout. There are teachings that will make you think. There are teachings that will convict you. There are... uh, God's Word does a lot of different things. It stirs up a lot of different emotions. And today, I think this teaching is really about getting you to think a little bit. And, you know, you might be thinking, well, we're talking about false teachers and false teachings in the church. Well, why are we talking about this? Why do we need to spend time talking about this? And and the reason why is if you go back to um, Jesus Jesus warned us about this. This is really important and this is why I want to talk about it because Jesus put emphasis on it. Look at what he said. He said, beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep but are really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit. That is, by the way they act. And so Jesus made a mention of this. He also Talk later in Matthew about in the last eight days that many false prophets would arise and things of that nature. So it's important because Jesus mentioned it. And notice that he said these are false prophets who come as harmless sheep, but they're inwardly they're vicious wolves. And one of the ways you identify them is by their why they act by their fruit. And so we're going to take a look at this. But it wasn't just Jesus that warned this as well. Paul also gave us warning. Paul in in 1 Timothy, he says, Now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last times, some will turn away from the true faith. Think about that. Some will turn away from the true faith, and they will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. These people are hypocrites and liars, and their consciences are dead. So we get this warning from jesus we get the same warning from from paul and as we look in second peter chapter 2 peter gives us a, an additional warning and his warning actually goes a lot goes deep and it's actually warns us throughout this whole chapter so he devotes this whole chapter this whole portion of his letter that he's writing to just talking about Uh, false teachers and false prophets. So what are we going to do tonight? Um, We're going to talk about a few things tonight. Number one, we're going to figure out or or discover how does this happen? How do these false teachings seep into the church? And we want to identify that. The second thing is we want to look at, and this is where we're going to spend a lot of our time this, this session, is talking about the characteristics of false teachers, so that we can identify them um, when we hear it or see it, we can say, wait a second, there's something wrong about that, okay? And then the third part is we're going to look at some false teachings that are invading the church today. Now, we're not going to do that part tonight because we're probably not going to get enough time, so I want to lay this other foundation and we'll spend the next session digging into the these false teachings that are invading the church today. Now, There's one thing that I wanna be very clear about is what I'm not talking about, is that I'm not talking about cults. You know, there are lots of cults out there and these cults are basically uh, organizations or groups that don't believe the truth. I'm gonna, that's my own definition. There there could be a more formal definition, but, and a lot of times they error in either their definitions of salvation or who Christ is. And so they, but they preach a gospel. That's not the true gospel. That's a, a, my, again, my own definitions of cults. We're not talking about cults here tonight. And there are lots of cult organizations out there. I'm not going to name them now, but we'll talk about those possibly in the future. But there are lots of cults out there, but we're not talking about cults. We're actually talking about teachings that are, or false teachers that are within the body of Christ. Jesus didn't say, warn them about people outside the church. Peter was talking about people inside the church. And so we wanna spend some time talking about that. And again, it leads to the question, how, how does this happen? How do these teachings slide into, or slip into, or become part of the fabric of a church, or the church, meaning the body of Christ? And there's a few ways that this happens. Here's the first one is when scripture gets taken out of context. You know, just as a side note, it's a good idea when you're reading scripture, um, read the verse before it, read the verse after it. In fact, maybe even read the whole chapter um, or read the whole letter if it's like a shorter book. It gives you kind of an idea of the context of the whole scripture, of the whole chapter, of the whole message or thought that the writer or more specifically, that God is trying to deliver in relationship to what he's talking about in that verse. And so a lot of times these teachings get spread because scripture gets taken out of context. And I want to give you an example right now. And you've probably heard this said before. Um, I've heard it said in in my own church, um, church that I've gone to, and I've heard other people say this. And so I want to talk about this because this is a very famous uh, uh, verse that a lot of people take out of context. And so here it is. I'm going to give you the part that people often say, and here it is. Speak those things that are not as though they are. And you're probably shaking your head and nodding and saying, yes, I've heard that said before. And a lot of times when people say it, people start jumping and shouting and, and professing things that are not as though they are. The problem is that verse is not totally in context. In fact, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to show you the whole verse and you tell me because when people see that, they often believe that they have the power to speak things that are not as though they are. For example, um, I'm, I'm, ha- I'm going to have a million dollars next year by this time and they speak those things that are not as though they are, right? They'll say, I'm a millionaire today. Cause by next year, I'm gonna have, Just that's just a, a, an example. Whether it's a good example or not, I know, but it's just an example. And so people run around with the thought that I can speak those things that are not as though they are. Let's look at the whole verse though. And I, and I want you to highlight this and tell me after reading the verse if you come to the same conclusion. Here's what Romans 4.17 says. It says, as it is written, i have made thee a father of many nations here he's referring to abraham before him who believed i'm sorry before him who he believed even god now notice god who quickeneth or gives life to the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were so notice who is the has the ability to call those things which be not as though they were it is God who does that. There's no in scripture that God says we have the ability to call those things that are not as though they were okay. As though they are, although they're going to be. So we have to be very careful. A lot of times false teachings creep into the church because scripture gets taken out of context. And so that's why it's important when you're studying scripture, read the whole verse, read the verse before, read the verse after, and make sure that your conclusion lines up with the context of the scripture. All right, so that's, that's uh, one way that this happens. But there's another way. Here's another way is that we often or a lot of times people will misinterpret the meaning of the scripture. And this can also tie into context as well. These are somewhat closely related, but not necessarily exactly related. But sometimes people can misinterpret the meaning. Let me give you another example. Another very famous scripture uh, that a lot of people have, you may have heard this one before. It says, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth reading from the King James Version. And there are a whole, there's a whole doctrine out there on, uh, you know, the prosperity gospel that, that, that gets preached. And one of the key scriptures is this scripture, uh, in third John verse two, beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper. Okay. And you look at that and say, okay, that's what the word says, but what is the meaning of the verse? Okay, and I want to give you the meaning of the verse and I'm going to read it from a different uh, translation just so you understand the, the meaning and the clarity of the verse. Notice, it says, Dear friend, I hope all is well with you and that you are as healthy in body as you are strong in spirit. You see, it's not talking about physical prosperity, which a lot of times is what people will use this as has nothing to do with physical prosperity. All these things, I want you to be in good health. I want you to be as strong in your body as you are as strong in your spirit, all right? So they misinterpret the meaning, but that doesn't stop there. It goes beyond that too. Here's what else happens. We don't test the teaching. And and I wanna be clear here. um, And I'm gonna spend a, a little bit of time here because this is very, very important. We don't test the teaching. Notice um, what Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy. He says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Now, when you see that, Right? He says, do your best, present yourself as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, but who does what? Who correctly handles the word of truth, who rightly divides the word of truth. Well, how do you understand the word of truth unless you test it, unless you ask questions, unless you look at the context, unless you understand the meaning? All of these things go into testing what is being taught or what is being said. And here's another verse where Paul says to the church in Thessalonians, test everything that is said, hold on to what is good. He was actually in saying this referring to to prophetic words or utterances um, that would come forth. And, and a prophetic word is basically a word from God to people specifically. And what Paul was saying was test everything that is said. So we have a responsibility to do that test everything it's okay to test everything in fact we encouraged to do this in fact it was commended if you look in the book of Revelation in Revelation there were letters written to seven churches one of them was the church in Ephesus and notice what he says he says to the angel of the church in Ephesus right and I and I jumped ahead to verse 2 he says I know your deeds your hard work and your perseverance i know that you cannot tolerate wicked people that you have what tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false see here in this letter to the church in ephesus they're being commended for testing those who claim to be something in this case an apostle but are not and you found them to be false. Here, their testing was commended. Jesus is saying, I'm glad that you have done that. That is a good thing to do. If someone makes a claim to be an apostle or prophet or whatever, but they're not, you've tested their claims. You found them to be false. Now, I'm not saying everyone who proclaim something is false. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is make sure that what they proclaim that you test what they say. This church in Ephesus was being commended for doing just that. But notice this continues because there were a couple of churches that were not uh, commended, they were rebuked. Same revelation, if you look in, and feel free to go and check for check what I'm telling, uh, telling you, Revelation chapter two. It says, to the angel of the church in Pergamum, write this, nevertheless, I have a few things against you. Notice, there are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam. We're going to talk a little bit more about Balaam, but just to give you a little perspective, um, Balaam encouraged Israelite men into sexual immorality and, and idolatry by mingling with the Moabite women. You'll see that in, in the book of Numbers um we'll talk a little bit more about that a little bit later so but notice he says he says there are some among you who hold to the teaching of balaam okay i have a few things against you right so they're holding on to this false teaching this teaching that is leading people into sin and they're holding on to it meaning they're making that a principle or belief that they're keeping right he says i hold or have this one thing against you What you'll also see is, he says, likewise, you also, those who hold to the teachings of the Nicolaitans. And they might be saying, who in the world are the Nicolaitans? Let me just give you some background. Um, The Nicolaitans, if you go back to the book of Acts chapter 6, And, you know, the widows and orphans weren't being fed their proper portion of food. And they said, hey, let's choose men who are full of the Holy Spirit to help them uh, make sure that this happens, that the food gets uh, divvied out uh, uh, correctly. And this way, we, the apostles, we can devote ourselves to prayer and a teaching and study of God's Word, pretty much. Nicholas was one of those seven men that were chosen, full of the Holy Spirit so the nicolaitans were followers of nicholas um however they kind of went off stray i'm going to read something here these are not my own words but i'm just reading it to you it says they they may have been identical with those who held the doctrine of balaam okay Balaam, again, they ate food sacrificed to idols, they were engaged in sexual immorality. They seem to have held that it was lawful to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit fornication in opposition to the decree of the church. In Acts chapter 15, you'll see that there's a council of Jerusalem and they issued a few decrees. Feel free to read them, that's verse 20 and 29, you'll see it. And it says that the teachers of the church branded them with a name, which expressed their true character. Now, now here's where the, the other part comes in. It says, mingling themselves in the orgies of idolatrous feasts, they brought the impurity of those feasts into the meetings of the Christian church. And all this was done It must be remembered, not simply as an indulgence of appetite, but as part of a system supported by a doctrine, which is in in quotation marks, accompanied by the boast of a prophetic illumination. In other words, someone comes along and says, hey, I have a new revelation from God and people run after this quote-unquote brand-new revelation, all right? And so this is what was happening, and the church of Pergamum did not test, or they held on to these idolatrous and sinful and wrong teachings. And Jesus is saying, I have these things against you. You're holding on to these teachings of Balaam. You're holding on to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Notice what he also says. There's another church, Thyatira. He says, nevertheless, I have this against you. What? You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. All right. So you're seeing here he's against this church. Why? Because they also did the same thing. They did not test. They allowed false teachings to be part of their church. They allowed it, okay? So they didn't test the teaching, and if you, you need to test the teaching, and if it's false, get rid of it. Now, so here, here's here's a first You are encouraged, expected, and empowered by God to test everything, regardless of who's teaching it or saying it. See, a lot of times we we fall into the trap of thinking that just because someone has a, 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 a pastor before their name or they call themselves a bishop or they call themselves prophet or evangelist or apostle or whatever title they want to give themselves or whatever title they have, we feel like we can't test what they're saying. I encourage you. We are encouraged and empowered and expected by God to test everything. It's okay to do that. Doesn't matter who's saying it. Just because someone stands up and says it and says, thus saith the Lord, that does not automatically mean it's thus saith the Lord. We have the right to test what they say. I'll take it a step further. Any teacher or leader that they feel, that feels rather, that they're above being questioned is a leader that's not worth following or listening to. In other words, if someone feels offended that you question something that they said, they feel offended, how dare you? Then that person is not worth following. That person is no longer worth listening to because they feel that they're above correction. And when any leader gets to that level, that's a very prideful place and they're on the verge of of falling. All right. It is okay to test what people say. One, if you don't understand it, two, if you don't agree with it, three, if you don't, if you don't believe it, it's okay. Say, Hey, you know what? I'm having a problem here with what you said. Can you give me more information? Can you help me understand better? Where did you come to that conclusion? It is absolutely okay to, to ask those questions. In fact, I give you full permission, anything we speak or teach in here, in the Bible Study Club. If you don't understand it, if you say, hey, I don't know if I agree with that. If you say, hey, I need more information on that. If you say, I don't know if that's true, all of those things are absolutely fine. Those are good things to to say, "Hey, hey, Clarence, I don't know. Ask, it's fine. We'll, we'll dig deeper and who knows? I'm not saying everything I say is, is 100% right. It's what I believe, but guess what? God can give me more information and maybe sometimes the things you believe can shift over time. Okay. What I'm saying is though, don't just take it at face value. You owe it to yourself as a workman approved by God, studying to show yourself approved, the workman who rightly handles the word of truth. Very, very important that you do that and take on that responsibility. You have every right to question anything that gets preached or taught in the Bible Study Club. I give you full 100% permission. You will not offend. Absolutely not. Here's why. If it's the truth, then I should be able to explain it and defend what I believe is the truth. And then if it's, if it's if it's an error, if it needs to be corrected, then I will thank you because now we've come to a better understanding of what the truth really is. You see, so it's a win-win, all right? So I give you full permission to do that. Anything you don't understand, anything that doesn't make sense, anything that's unclear, anything that you might say, hmm, I don't know about that one, brother. Feel free to raise your hand, to send us an email, to ask the question, to call us, whatever, and we'll be happy to dig deeper and and defend the position and understand the truth a lot better. No problem with that whatsoever. Now, here's the guideline, folks. Any teaching that I do or anybody else, whoever you listen to, whoever your pastor is, must be in congruence with the word of God. It has to agree with what God has established in his word, period, end of discussion. The final debate or the final analysis or the final word that we live by is not the prophetic utterance of someone else. What we live by is the truth and the foundation of God's word. If it's in the word, it's all right. If it's not in the word or if it's out of context, if it's not in congruence with the full counsel of the word, then we got to take a second look at that and make sure that that's in agreement with what God really says and what he means. It's not out of context. Um, It's not misinterpreted, okay? But it has to be in congruence with the Word of God. Understand something. God is a God of order. And here's what's really, really important to understand. What the Holy Spirit will reveal to you will not be out of line with what is revealed in the Word of God. See, it all works in conjunction together. So the Holy Spirit does not operate outside of the parameters of the Word of God. The Holy Spirit operates within the parameters of the Word of God. It's His Word anyway. (laughs) He inspired men to write it so He knows what's there. So He's going to operate within the parameters. Why? Because He understands that God's Word, the Word which He inspired men to write, It's our foundation. It's our roadmap. It's our constitution, if you will. It's the thing that we live up to. And so, yes, everything we teach has to be in congruence. Now, when you find teaching that's true, feel free to embrace it. It's a good thing. Hold on to teaching that is true. However, if you find teaching that is not true, then you have every right to reject it. It is absolutely okay. And again, doesn't matter who's teaching it for both sides. If it's true, it doesn't matter who's teaching as long as it's true. If it's not true, it doesn't matter who's teaching it if it's not true. Reject what's not true, but embrace, embrace what's true, okay? Now, let's do this. We wanna now look at, now that we've laid our foundation here, we wanna start looking at some of these characteristics of false teachers. Now, in doing this, I'm not necessarily identifying specific people who I may consider false teachers out there today. I'm not doing that. What I am doing is looking at the general characteristics that are common amongst false teachers. That's what we're doing, okay? And in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, here's what Peter says. He says, but there are also false prophets in Israel, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will cleverly teach destructive heresies and even deny the master who bought them. In this way, they will bring sudden destruction on themselves. So that's Second Peter chapter 2, verse 1. And within this verse, we discover some characteristics that we'll notice about uh, these false teachers. And, And here's the first one. They dwell among you. In other words, another way of thinking about it is they look just like you. Maybe they're sitting in the pew right next to you. Maybe they lift their hands to worship just like you do. Maybe they open the Bible and preach from the Bible just like you do. In other words, they dwell among you right? There will be false teachers among you. Keep that in mind. They're not outside. They're potentially inside the walls of the church. Second thing you notice is that they're good at what they do. See, these aren't like amateurs. These people know what they're doing. They're good at what they do. They're good orators or good speakers or good teachers. These aren't some amateurs here. They're good at what they do and they're clever. You see, think about it and and I'll I'll go back to um, the Garden of Eden, for an example. When Satan tempted Eve, Satan was very clever in his approach. He didn't just come with all lie. He came with a little bit of truth and mixed it with a lie. All right. Well, if you think about math, when you have a negative and a positive, you end up with a negative. So if you have a a little bit of lie and and a little bit of truth, then you have a lie. And that's the way Satan wrapped that to Eve. Did God say you should not eat from that tree and not even touch it? Right. So did God say? So you, you, you wrapped the truth with a lie to try to hide it. Very clever, very cunning, very deceitful, okay? Clever teachers. Also, but here's what's important about what they teach though. It's destructive. And if you really listen to it, if you really follow it, if you really pour your, your belief into it, it will destroy your faith. Peter calls them destructive heresies. And for those who don't know, heresy is a false teaching. So these are destructive false teachings. They're cleverly disguised, but they're destructive. And if you follow them, they will destroy your faith. This is all what Peter said in verse 1. And a lot of times they end up challenging the deity of Christ. The deity of Christ is the God nature, the God. The, the fact that Christ is fully God, fully man. And a lot of times, the challenge will either be to lower the deity of Christ or to elevate their position to try to make it seem like we and Christ are on the same level. We are not on the same level. <laughs> it's not even close, okay? But that's just verse one. These are some of the characteristics, all right? Notice verse number two. Second Peter chapter two, verse two, many will follow their evil teaching and shameful immorality. And because of these teachers, the way of truth will be slandered. Here's a second piece of this, these characteristics. First of all, a lot of times they're very charismatic people. They have the ability to get people to follow their teachings. And it's so important because a false teacher that can't teach or someone who can't get someone to follow them is not a leader, right? A leader is someone who has followers. Well, if no one is listening to you and no one is following and no one is believing you, then you're not really an effective leader or an effective teacher. So these people, because many people will follow them, then they have a certain amount of charisma, a certain amount of an ability to communicate, a certain amount of skill of oration where they can say something and, and cause people to to follow after what they say. Politicians are very gifted in this ability to, to get people to believe what they say and to follow them. It's a gift of oration. I'm not calling politicians uh, false teachers. I'm just using that as an illustration. So these teachers are charismatic; they can get people to follow them. You also find that their private life doesn't match their public ministry. Usually, there's something going on behind the scenes, um, and a lot of times it has to do with if, with either with some type of sexual immorality. But there's something that's going on behind the scenes that's exposed. That's that's the r- the real uh, identification. Of their character okay it's usually not their public life and their private life are not congruent one of the great uh, things about a great teacher is that their private life is greater I would even say than their public ministry in other words we want to be winners and and men and women of integrity when no one is watching someone gave me a card many many years ago and um. And he simply wrote in a card, um, character or integrity is who you are when no one is watching. You see, it's easy to be on point when the whole world is watching, but when you turn the cameras off and it's just you, that's who you really are. And see character and integrity is who you are when no one is watching. These false teachers, they bring slander and shame to the gospel and to the truth of God's word. Because their teachings are an error and because people follow them to their own destruction, then what happens is people begin to group the whole truth of God's word, the whole truth of the gospel. It all gets lumped into this one big lump thing. And and I'll give you an example. This is not necessarily a false teacher, but just the way people think. Have you ever heard people say when they go to church, oh, I don't like going to church because all the people there are hypocrites. What did they do? They took their one experience or two experiences and they lumped every single person who goes to church into that pile that they're all hypocrites. Right, And so these false teachers, because of the error of their teaching, because of the destructive heresies that they bring forth, it causes people now to look at the gospel and the word of God and make a mockery of it and a slander of it, all right? <clears throat> they cause people to mock true Christianity because of the false teaching, all right? So, So those are some more characteristics. Now, let's jump ahead. Second Peter chapter two, verse number three says this, in their greed, let me, let me repeat this, in their greed, they will make up clever lies to get hold of your money. But God condemned them long ago and their destruction will not be delayed. One of the, the real characteristics of these false teachers is that they're often greedy lovers of money and wealth and possessions and they find or create ways to get your money. I was uh again doing some some background research and I came across a quote that someone said and and a lot of times the the language that's used is designed to get you to to give more money. But someone said this and I'll leave the name out of who said it, but They said they were talking about giving to their ministry or they were trying to raise funds and he said they should sow a seed by using their credit cards to make donations in return. The Lord would see to it that the balances would be paid off within 30 days. This person said, get Jesus on that credit card. Okay. Um, I remember I went to, to a church service. Uh, one time this happened in Manhattan and so I went with a, a, a friend of mine at the time um, and you know this this is a church that believes in, in in prophetic ministry and gifts of the Spirit which by the way I do believe in as well and we'll talk a little bit about that more next week but in the conversation and in the middle of the service the, the, the preacher got up and said and I'm quoting him because I was there he said, the Lord told me that there are 10 people in the audience who should sow a $1,000 seed into the ministry, All right, So he said, there are 10. And if you are one of those 10, I want you to stand up. Now, when he said that, all right, notice what he said. He said, the Lord told me that there are 10 who should sow a $1,000 seed, and, and if you're one of those 10, then please stand up. When he said that only about maybe three or four people stood up and he was like the Lord told me there are ten and then he said this he said don't let me get a word of knowledge and call you out all right what was he doing there he was figuring out a way a clever way of getting hold of people's money and so you have to be careful because These false teachers, like I said, they're greedy. They're lovers of money and wealth and possessions. Many times you hear them talking about the possessions that they own, the things that they have, the new thing they just got, this wonderful whatever, the type of car they're driving, the type of house they live in. I don't see anywhere in scripture when Jesus was walking on the face of the earth where he put emphasis on how much money he had or his possessions. If anything, he de-emphasized that. So we have to be careful. Now, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with money. There's nothing wrong with money. There is, however, a problem with loving money. The Bible says that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Again, they create new ways. I call them lies. That's my word to give you, get you to give them your money. You know, a lot of times I've heard preachers do this too, where they're preaching on a certain scripture and a certain verse, and maybe it's Psalm forty-six ten or Jeremiah twenty-nine eleven or something like that. And they're what they'll tell you is okay. Well, if it's Jeremiah twenty-nine eleven, if you send in twenty-nine dollars and eleven cents right? There's a Jeremiah blessing when you send in $29.11. Or if you um, send this gift to my ministry of XYZ, then I'm going to release this special anointing on this cloth and I'm going to send the cloth to you. This is all stuff, ways of getting you to give them, for you to give them your money. 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 10. It says, these people are proud and arrogant, daring even to scoff at supernatural beings without so much as trembling. You see, a lot of times what you'll find is that these people are very proud and very arrogant, arrogant and the real center of the ministry, the exaltation is not really going to God. They become the focus and the centerpiece of the ministry, very proud and very arrogant in fact what you'll also notice is that many times they have a very misguided view of spiritual warfare and of the supernatural and you have to be careful about that because a lot of times they will purport things that are not in scripture but they'll use their title of apostle or prophet or pastor whatever the title is and move people into something that's not really tied to scripture i was looking at uh i remember going to um a a church service this is many years ago and there was this whole laughing movement that popped into the church now where you find this in scripture i have no idea but i remember going into the service and when i walked in the first thing i could detect was that this was not normal There was not a sense of the presence of God in this place. There was a spirit in that place, but it wasn't the presence of God. And so a lot of times people in seeking out, quote unquote, experiences, they seek after things and they become uh, susceptible to these types of things. So you have to be very, very careful because their view of the supernatural which I fully believe in, God is able to do supernatural things above and beyond anything I could ever think or imagine, or you could ever think or imagine. But a lot of times these false teachers have a uh, misguided view of the supernatural and spiritual warfare, right? And they make stupid comments about, I'm going to beat up the devil and all this kind of stuff. And, and not that we don't have authority over the devil, we do, but that doesn't mean that the devil is not powerful. And if we go in our own strength, he'll beat us down. But when we go in the power of the Holy Spirit working in us and through us, then he can't touch us. All right. Moving on. Verse 12, we're in Second Peter chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. It says, these false teachers are like unthinking animals, creatures of instinct born to be caught and destroyed they scoff at things they do not understand and like animals they will be destroyed their destruction is their reward for the harm they have done they love to indulge in pleasures in broad daylight they are a disgrace and a stain among you they delight in deception even as they eat with you in your fellowship meals you see these false teachers they often have uncontrolled passions. Usually it's a lust towards something, whether it's power or greed or sex or something of those natures. It's usually wrapped around one of those three. It's either a lust for power, a lust for greed, uh, a lust for money rather, or a lust for sexual immorality. It's usually wrapped around one of those three things. And it's uncontrolled. They're like wild animals right, who have no control over anything that they do, these uncontrolled passions, and also there's no remorse or shame for their sinful ways, just none, there's no disregard, doesn't matter what I do, I'm who I am, I'm this person, and we have to be careful, this is, this is where they're coming from, right, and it says they take pleasure in deceiving others. You know, there was this uh, documentary I watched um, about a, a fake healer. And, and again, I'm not saying that healing is fake because I fully believe in the gifts of the spirit and the operation of that. And we'll talk again more about that next week. But this guy was a straight up fraud. Um, and And he was deceiving people for the sole purpose of getting money. And there was a documentary uh, created about him. I won't name the name now. If you want to know about it, contact me afterwards. I'll be glad to get it to you. But he was deceiving people. And it was all about getting more money. At the end of the day, he'd just go in the bag and look at how much he collected. And that was his kind of his laughing moment. Almost like, look how gullible these people are. Okay. They take pleasure in deceiving others. And notice that they're often part of the fellowship of the body of Christ. See, again, they dwell among you. They're next to you. They're eating breaking bread with you, like I said. And yet they're false teachers dwelling amongst you. Verse 14, they commit adultery with their eyes and their desire for sin is never satisfied. They lure unstable people into sin, and they are well-trained in greed. They live under God's curse. And notice what we see here. Their lust for pleasure and sin is never filled. They always want more, right? That's the thing about lust. Lust is not something that actually ever gets satisfied. It gets satisfied for a moment, and then it's, I need more, I need more. And it takes more and more to fulfill it. That's just the way lust works. But there's something else that's very disturbing here is that they prey on those who are unstable. How you describe someone who's unstable, and and these are often the people that they prey on. Either the person is uneducated or the person may be newer in their faith. They don't know any better. So they they lack knowledge. Um, The person may be in a desperate situation that they would do anything to get out of. Maybe their child has a terminal illness, or they have a terminal illness. Maybe they're in some type of financial distress, or there's just something going on. Their family's not right, but there's something that is so desperate that they would do virtually anything to get out of that situation. These are the types of people that they prey on. This is why God would 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 hate these people and bring destruction on them and it's coming we're going to see that in just a few moments second peter chapter 2 verse 15 says they have wandered off the right road and followed the footsteps of balaam son of Beor, who loved to earn money by doing wrong we saw two two things early about Beor. he led the people into sexual immorality um and idolatry they were eating food sacrificed to idols but if you read the story of Balaam, it's in it's in the book of Numbers. Uh I believe it starts at twenty two to like twenty-six or twenty-seven, something like that. But those could be off by a few, but it's in the book of numbers, just so you know. One of the things that Balaam did was he sought to profit financially from the operation of spiritual gifts, right? so these false teachers would seek financial reward in exchange for prayer in exchange for a prophetic word in exchange for some type of operation of quote unquote their spiritual gift in other words if you send me this amount of money then i will release this prophetic word or this healing will come to you or this financial blessing will come to you right but you have to send me, only only to me, this money, and then I will release this to you. Back in the day, I don't know if they still do this or not, but you used to have the $50 lines, and a $100 lines, and a $500 lines, and each line would get a prophetic word. Right? And so we have to be careful about these types of things. Again, I'm not saying that I, I believe in, in, in prophecy and, and tongues, and I believe in all of this stuff. We're going to talk again more next week. But not in exchange for financial gain. I don't believe that's what God desires. In verse 18, they brag about themselves with empty, foolish boasting, with an appeal to twisted sexual desires. They lure back into sin those who have barely escaped from a lifestyle of deception. So they're usually self-centered, and they often speak again about things they have done. And... They lure people back into sin and a lot of times there's lots of sexual immorality and perversion that is so often a characteristic of false teaching there is some type of perversion that, that is attached to it but notice they're leading people what back into sin which ties into verse 19 they promise freedom but they themselves are slaves of sin and corruption for you are a slave To whatever controls you You see these people are promising freedom and what they're actually doing is bondage and they're leaving people worse off after they've met them than before so so these are some some characteristics of these false teachers and you have to be mindful right you have to be careful so I want to leave you some instruction. I don't want to leave on this note. I want to leave you some instruction. Two things, actually. Here's the first thing to understand. God will judge these people. It's just a matter of when. Some will happen quickly. Some may take a while. God will judge them. Notice in, in 2 Peter, in the same chapter, he says it over and over, he says, the destruction is coming. They live under a curse. They are already condemned. They are doomed to the blackest darkness. You know, there's a scripture that says that, um, and I'm paraphrasing, but if anyone would hurt one of these little children, Jesus said it'd be better that a millstone be tied around their neck and they thrown into the deepest sea. I think that's the same way God has with people that would come to intentionally destroy and deceive his very own children. Their destruction is coming. They are under a curse. Now, they might not live that way. They might not feel that, but it's true. They are condemned, already condemned. That's what the Bible says. Already condemned and doomed to the blackest darkness. So then here's the question that I have for you. What What is your responsibility, right? In the light of these things, because, again I, don't, again, I don't know who you listen to. I don't know what teachings you read. I don't know. But, again, these things can be everywhere. And so what is our responsibility? How do we respond to this? And here's a few things we have to do. Number one, you need to know what you believe. I don't know if you've ever done a doctrine course. I don't know if you've ever taken the time to really know the, the core beliefs of your faith. Um and what they are, what we believe, why we believe it, where they, if you've never taken the time to do that, I strongly encourage you to do that, okay? Know what you believe. You know, one of the things that they do when they they would teach counterfeiters how to spot a counterfeit bill, is they would give them a real $100 bill, for example and they would have them study this $100 bill to know every single thing there is to know about this $100 bill. Why? Because the more you are familiar with what is true, the easier it is to find, spot a counterfeit. When I was doing research for this, I was, you know, just looking at some different websites and there was a website, oh, I forgot the name of, it. I should have written it down, but it was talking about M Time Prophecy and it had a web's a title with that name in it. And so I started reading and they had scriptures up there, and I started reading the, com- the comments on the scriptures. I'm saying, that didn't sound right. So I kept reading some more, and I said, that didn't sound right either. And then as I kept reading, then it clicked. It was Jehovah Witness doctrine. And I began to, and then, it, then it all made sense. I said, that ain't sounding right. And so how are you gonna know what sounds right or what doesn't sound right? You have to know what you believe. Second, you have to learn how to study God's word. This is your responsibility. These are things you have to do. Learn how to ask questions. Learn how to dig deeper into God's word. Learn how to pull truth out of God's word. Learn how to read in context. You have to learn how to do these things. And if you're not sure how to do it, please reach out to us. That's one of the reasons why we started this club is to give people tools and resources to help you learn how to do that better. And then the third thing is don't be afraid to ask questions. As I said before, it is okay to ask questions. It is okay to um, to find out to say, hey, you know what? Something doesn't sound right about that. Something is doesn't. It's okay. Ask us any question you want. You have our permission. We are, We love it. You know, asking questions is a good thing because it means you want to know more and learn more so we strongly encourage you.